So hello everyone. In today's episode, we're diving into the world of perfumes and discussing the pivotal shift that's happening within the fragrance space. I'm not going to lie, I might make a load of perfume puns in this episode. I, I love a good dad joke or a pun, so please bear with me. I promise you we'll get to the guest interview in no time and then you'll be done with me. As we've found throughout this season, the beauty industry is really kind of changing in favour towards more conscious consumerism, more sustainable practices, and it's time for the perfume industry to really catch up to that wave. They had some inspiration from Japan because Japan does a lot of paper, beautiful paper packaging. And we sat round another table for a few hours and we started to really come up with this idea. And it was so exciting to actually design a package. And my husband said to me, oh my God, what are you putting that beautiful bottle into that package for? It looks like a takeout box. As we explore the winds of transformation, one trend is really standing up for me and it's something in the perfume industry that I'm seeing like refills. Consumers are really taking note and seeking out these eco-friendly options where they can. And the fragrance world is taking note. So today I want to discuss the reasons behind this shift, the impact on the industry and how it's sort of reshaping that sensory or factory experience. And I'm sure that this will be a fragrant conversation, <laughs> pun intended. And that goes beyond scents and bottles, venturing into a future where beauty and sustainability can harmoniously coexist. So it appears that 2020 really, really amped up people's love for fragrances. The fragrance industry also took a turn towards more sustainable practices, with folks kind of leaning towards more natural scents and eco-friendly ingredients. Allied Market Research dropped some numbers on this, saying that the global fragrance ingredients market was worth $13.6 billion in 2019. And that number is projected to hit $16.1 billion dollars again by 2027 so that's in the next three years it's expected to hit 16.1 billion that's a solid growth rate of around 3.8 percent annually and this is partly due down to i guess multiple lockdowns that meant that people who were at home were looking to, for ways to inject a little bit of joy into their days and fragrance was a really great way to do that now, who's sort of heading and leading this fragrant revolution? Well, it's sort of a joint effort between fragrance producers and us, the consumer. We're all rethinking what it means to be sustainable. And it's showing up in these really cool initiatives worldwide, like refill stations, less plastic in packaging and in the bottles themselves, and are focusing on recycling and reusing. But hold up, I can hear you saying, because <laughs> I know that there's people that will always challenge me on this podcast. And I can hear you saying that natural doesn't always mean sustainable. I'm very, very aware of that. And I really do accept that. And we're going to be talking about that in a little bit more detail. But we are sort of steering away from synthetics and heading back to more natural botanicals, which is really, really awesome. But there is a catch. Some natural ingredients might be putting endangered plants at risk, which defeats the purpose. So when you're on a hunt for a fragrance, keep an eye out for brands that steer clear of compromising the natural ecosystem. In the world of perfumery, the term nature identical, which is something that we'll discuss in way more detail when we speak to our guests in a little while, is often used to describe synthetic ingredients designed to replicate the smell and aroma of natural substances found in botanicals. 
These synthetic compounds aim to mimic the olfactory profile of natural essences and they're sort of providing a consistent and cost-effective alternative to sourcing certain fragrant molecules directly supplied to us by plants. While nature identical implies a close resemblance to natural scents, these synthetic ingredients are created through chemical processes, offering perfumers a broader palette of possibilities. The use of nature identical ingredients allows for the crafting of complex and sustainable fragrances, offering a balance between artistic expression and environmental considerations in the perfume industry. Now, I want to say, I want to just make a point here and say that the consistent element of that is really important because I think, and I've spoken to a couple of perfume brands before that do try to use natural ingredients over nature, identical or synthetics, because they want it to be natural. But that consistency isn't always there and you may get a slight variation in the scent sometimes if the quality of the product isn't there or if there's been a bad crop or something like that. It's always important to remember these things. And it's not just about what's inside the bottle. Packaging, as I like to always talk about, it plays a massive role too. And have you ever noticed that there's a magnetic cap on perfume bottles? Turns out, not so great for recycling. Today's guest will tell you a lot more about packaging, so keep listening for those insights. Recycled glass, as I said before, is emerging as a significant contender in sustainable perfume packaging. But by repurposing glass, brands are reducing energy consumption and minimizing waste, which also reduces their carbon footprint and also maintains the luxurious aesthetic of perfume that we've all grown to love and expect. Also, other areas like pulp packaging enter today's guest for that. And biodegradable sleeves are also growing in popularity. Now, I'm not a big fan of beauty products in glass, but I understand that perfume needs it. So how can you sort of be a fragrance superhero? Um, start with the sourcing. Check out where the scents are coming from, from the story behind each ingredient. The Environmental Working Group dropped some mind-blowing knowledge and some stats on this revealing that what smells like a rose might be a mix of 3,100 different chemicals. <laughs> That's bonkers to me. I just think it's mad, but... And don't forget about the social ethics behind it. If you think about sustainability, you have to think about the social ethics of everything because it's not just about the planet, it's about people. It's up to us as consumers to dig deep and find out if our favourite brand is doing good for social enterprises and putting effort into sustainable ingredients as well. And make sure that your fragrance isn't tested on animals because no one wants to hurt bunnies in the labs. Today's guest is Michelle Feeney, who is an absolute superhero and icon, and she is the founder of Floral Street, the sustainable, independent British fragrance brand. Having spent over 30 years in the beauty industry at the helm of major brands like Saint-Tropez and MAC Cosmetics, Michelle founded Floral Street in 2017 after taking a gap year aged 51. Floral Street has been turning the fragrance industry on its head since launching. Every fragrance they sell is packaged in a pulp box made from upcycled coffee cups. So far, over 400,000 cups have been saved from landfill and each fragrance box uses one coffee cup from the likes of Starbucks, Costa and McDonald's. Can you believe that? No, me either. Um, so let's chat to Michelle to learn more. Fabulous. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm very, very excited for this conversation. So let's talk all about Floral Street. So quite rightly to say, you've been a trailblazer in the sustainable fragrances space for some time now. And your laundry list of awards really shows us just how trailblazing. Can you share some of the key initiatives or practices that set Floral Street apart in terms of sustainability within the fragrance industry, please? Yeah, I find it quite interesting that only now are people going, 
wow, look at what you've done. You know, I started this quest seven years ago. I'd had a big career in the beauty industry, as you know, working, creating, you know, being part of teams that created billion dollar brands. And I had a bit of an awakening in my early 50s and had the idea for the brand. And I thought, if I'm going to do a brand, it has to have some purpose and value. And it was really to shout about sustainability. And I felt that fragrance industry in general was not definitely not seven years talking about anything sustainable or packaging. So I kind of started with who I decided to work with, which was Robert A, because they are the leaders in sourcing natural materials. Now, not all natural is good in fragrance, so we can talk about that. So I was learning along the way, really. And then it was mainly the packaging. I was very wanted, I really wanted to make a statement about packaging. All I saw was boxes wrapped in cellophane on shelves, complicated bottles with tops on that to me were just landfill. And I just thought, my goodness, I've got to change that. So I started with that, really. And, you know, I wasn't a sustainability expert or I didn't pretend to be. But what we did was we found partners who were and sort of went to the paper manufacturer and said, can you, you're doing pulp, can we make a box with you? You know, and I went on this sort of quest. We we designed the box. It wasn't off the shelf. We had to have it 3D um, set. We made the mold. And that was the starting point. And I thought, if I can do this, I can be a voice for change in fragrance. It's so interesting that you recognised your own failings there. Because I think that's a really key part of what you've said to be able to go and speak to somebody else and say, well, you do this really well. I want to create a brand that does X, you do Y, let's work together. And I think that that is something that I'm seeing across the board in so many different parts of the sustainability space where it's all about collaboration and finding solutions together. Because when you think about it, everybody's a business. We've all got profits and revenues and all these things to make. We could do these things very individually. We could be the one to be at the forefront of that change and not bring anybody else in. But I think when you collaborate, you get a much broader spectrum and a better result every time. And just seeing it so much more, which is lovely. So well done for that. Isn't life like that, though? I mean, in even in all my big sort of roles, it's always a collaborative effort to create. You know, it's about creativity and applying creativity to create solutions, you know, that are better. I've just been blown away by all the companies we've worked with <clears throat> and being independent and British. I think there's about 33 companies that were involved in Britain from small designers through to the pulp manufacturer to bringing this to being. And I feel pretty proud of that. And, and they are proud of us too, because we've helped them. It's a really good feeling, actually. I want to talk a little bit about ingredients. So uh, I don't know if my listeners know, but the fragrance world has traditionally been associated with a lot of synthetics and synthetic ingredients. And you've really been challenging that norm. And I particularly love the idea of your products being traceable from seed to scent. But how do you sort of navigate the use of these raw, natural, traceable ingredients? And what efforts does it take and what do you make to ensure that the sustainability of these resources? I know you've mentioned the Roberto partnership. Maybe you could elaborate on that. Yeah, sure. They do that work for us in a way because they're the experts. Again, 
What I've learned, this has been a journey of learning, still learning every day. What I've learned about fine fragrances, you'd actually need both. So you need synthetic because you cannot, um, for instance, let me take a soft fruit. So if we've got pear in something, you can't use natural pear because it's water-based. A lot of fruits are water-based. You, you couldn't extract enough of the scent from that. So to create it in the lab, and make it sort of, I call it nature identical in a way, is better. And you'd need to, oh my God, I don't know how many pairs you'd need to get a kilo of oil. You know, and, and to give an example of rose, you need, I think it's five tons of rose petals to make one kilo. I heard this recently. I spoke to another brand like about a year and a half ago, and I was genuinely gobsmacked. I can't, yeah. When you think about the enormity of how many in raw ingredients you need I understand why people don't <laughs> it's about not taking too much from nature as well I mean you know we've got in Arizona Bloom we've got a sustainably sourced coconut and because there's an extraction process which is called CO2 extraction it means they can take every single ounce out of the coconut so for that you only need 50 coconuts to make a ton so what I'm learning is it's about sandalwood, for instance. Most of it is over harvested in the world. We use Australian sandalwood, which is sustainably sourced. So much like our foods, you know, these natural ingredients, they take, but at the same time, you are supporting communities and their lives as well. So for instance, vanilla, ours comes from Madagascar. It's families that farm the what's called black gold because it's so expensive and that sustains their whole family. So it's this, again, what goes into a bottle of fragrance is mind-blowing as far as where the ingredients come from, how it is put together, and really this important balance between what you're calling synthetics or nature identical and the natural ingredient as well so again it's a balance I liken it to sort of growing your own vegetables but here we are on our apple computers with our ipods in having a, a virtual conversation you know in life we now marry those two things together for a better outcome as an advocate for sustainability very early on in the game there must have been a lot of people saying to you oh why are you doing that how can you do that that's ridiculous which is You've always got the naysayers. And how do you kind of overcome that industry reluctance and what strategies have been most effective for you? You know, I wanted to lead and I wanted to stand on a um, platform. You know, I've always been involved in challenger and cult brands, you know, from the beginning of my beauty career, really. And Mac, you know, challenged the gender question, you know, in the early 90s before it was a thing. So I'd had some experience in being a challenger. What I didn't have an experience of is being a challenger with an independent company. Because frankly, I the bigger companies just sort of come and, you know, take your ideas, take what you've done. They're able to do it in some respects. So my challenge as an independent brand is how do I stay ahead of the game? How do I do things differently? And how do I amplify those messages? Because unfortunately, I think the beauty industry isn't that collaborative at all. And if it really, 
I'll be honest now, I haven't said this publicly before, if it really wanted to solve a lot of the issues of waste and sustainability, it could quite easily if, if everybody came together. But like you said, everybody's got independent companies, they want to forge ahead. My challenge every day working in an industry where it's addicted, like it injects itself every day with newness. And, you know, I, I see it rewarding brands, you know, particular brand at the moment that's massive globally and has sort of led the way in body sprays and things and the growth of that category. It's I, all I see is just something that's going to go into landfill. And I'm like, oh my God, it could be so different. <laughs> so I think the challenge is how do I keep believing what we're doing? How do I keep us ahead of the game? And that's, again, through partnerships. And we've built this really solid following, you know, with communities that care. So if you keep sewing those communities together, you start to get momentum in in followers. And I really don't want to let those people down. So, you know, when distribution channels and stores say, oh, you need to do this product category and you need to do this. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but there's no real need for that. And Robert A keep me so ahead of the game and Jerome, you know, they're just telling me now about this new sustainable ingredient. We're finding out about new technologies that can create things um, in different ways. So again, it's it's this marriage of natural knowledge into that and also this tech lead that can do things really differently. How do you take one idea that one person's had and make sure that everybody's doing it? It's through collaboration and it's through these innovative forward thinkers coming together and saying, there's got to be another way. Just because something's always been done one way doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be done that way in perpetuity. It can be changed. Yeah, but I also think the word challenge is really important. You have to challenge yourself as a brand and you have to challenge your industry and you have to challenge the consumer. And what I learned early on with MAC Cosmetics, particularly, I talk a lot about that because it taught me a lot. You know, it had a whole non-for-profit side, which was the MAC AIDS Fund, which I led for a while and definitely helped grow. And what I learned from that is if you are a successful business, so the more successful I become at Floral Street, the more power I have to influence the consumer. Because I can say, you know, do you know about this? Do you know if you use this? <laughs> um, how about doing it this way? And I also think it, it's a modern way to actually sell is is to engage you know, particularly women, but engage us as humans and don't make us feel bad about ourselves. Like you said, you challenge yourself each day, but my brand isn't there to make you feel bad. I designed it to be an amazing product. It's fine fragrance. It's by one of the best noses in the world. It looks beautiful. And by the way, you know, we're doing a sustainable package and we're taking care about what ingredients are there. So and we're challenging ourselves to do all these things. So I think I never want to take the beauty out of beauty. It's an industry that is extremely important to people on a daily basis. It's created communities. It's created opportunities for so many that I think it's about being beautiful and being sustainable at the same time. And it is possible to have people do both at the same time. It is. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned your packaging just then, and I really would love to talk a little bit about that because I think that's one of the key selling points, as you said. 
So I've been speaking in the intro earlier about pulp packaging, and I'm kind of blown away by the innovation. In the introduction, I was speaking about pulp packaging, and I'm really blown away by the innovation because I think, I know it sounds silly, but it seems so simple when you think about it. And how do these seemingly small details contribute to a more sustainable approach? And what role do they play in shaping, I guess, consumer perceptions of a brand's commitment to to the environment? Okay, well... To be honest, the whole brand was spurred on by packaging because I had the idea for doing a fragrance brand called Flower Street. I'd registered the name globally for that category in business. And then I just stepped back and thought, do I really want to do this? Does the world need any more packaging? And actually, somebody from another brand sent me a gift and it had a very beautiful bag, beautiful, beautiful carrier bag with a bow. You undo the bow. Then inside was another bow and it was a box and inside that was the product. And I looked at all this beautiful packaging and I just thought, this, what am I going to do with this? And that was when I thought, aha, I've got to do this differently. And there was just me and another person working on the creating the brand around my dining room table. And she went to a packaging exhibition and saw that this paper, very well-known paper um, company who are 180 years old, was starting to do pulp. And she went and chatted to them. And then we spoke to them. And again, this collaborative, then I got the people that were helping with, with design and we got ourselves together. And they had some inspiration from Japan because Japan does a lot, a lot of paper, beautiful paper packaging. And we sat around another table for a few hours and we started to really come up with this idea. And it was so exciting to actually design a package. And my husband said to me, oh, my God, what are you putting that beautiful bottle into that package for? You know, it looks like a takeout box. And I said, you just wait. You just wait. This is going to be new luxury. And sure enough, you know, it's beautifully designed. It's created a benchmark for us as a company as to how to do everything in the best way possible, in that the factory is solar powered. We're now involved with a company that collects used cups from McDonald's and Cafe Nero, and is and they've got the only plant in Europe that can extrude the plastic, and you, that goes to use energy, and then the paper goes to use our pulp. And I'm just so excited by these things, you know, that it's a step on, it's a step on. And then it led me to say, well, if we're doing that, we have to use sustainably sourced card. And what about our bags, you know, and what about this? And it was teaching me along the way, the process to think absolutely everything through. Even the dye on the paper is vegetable dye. It's not, you know, so that I'm able to stand in front of people and say, hand on heart, This is where we're doing well. This is where we maybe could be doing better. So sustainability, I say it's at the very heart of what Floral Street does. We can only do what we can do. So within what we've got. But what what I'm loving is, you know, we started about collaborative, but the only bit of plastic we have in the brand is in the dip tube of the fragrance. And I actually can't solve that alone. (laughs) 
So I probably could, but I, I can't afford to do that. I can't afford to pay for the research into that. However, we found an amazing um, guy who started a, a non-for-profit. We calculate how much plastic we have. It's called Clean Hub. We pay him a price that we agree on that per kilo. And then he uses that money to pay. We're particularly working with a group of women in southern India where things aren't recycled to collect waste from the beaches and everything and recycle it properly. And he's a guy who's based in Berlin. And, and we did a litter pick with him earlier this year. And he said, you know, I went to every single big company and none of them would work with me. He said, and look, you're working with me. That's change. You know, that's so you, I find we're kind of gathering this group of people around the world that we're working with very almost quietly underneath everything to make change and educate you know you can only educate your kids right and hope that there's going to be kind of a lot of change I really love how you've put that I love clean hub and I love what they do and I'm really glad and I think it's it's going into our last question it's kind of led me in quite nicely to this topic because as we've said throughout this episode people have to make a profit in order to stay going and has been the year of us losing a lot of sustainable and ethical brands whether it's there's been fashion brands that have gone beauty brands that have gone a load of beauty brands go actually there's been like home care and laundry brands that have all had to shut their businesses so I think in order for us to be sustainable but also have finding that balance between environmental responsibility and that economic viability how do you approach it how can you make it so that the brand's values align with your sustainable practices while maintaining a successful business model especially in an industry that's so competitive like the fragrance market i'll tell you when i know look i've had a lot of experience you know 40 years basically in the industry so i was able pre-lockdown to gather quite a lot of momentum and align myself with distribution channels that also wanted to tell that story and it, it's got to be even this has got to be a partnership with companies that want you because you're sustainable but also want to give you the space to tell that story as well you know and then you can have success and I think what happened to some companies because we had lockdown everything you had to that word pivot onto online only or you might be an online only brand that's done really well during lockdown, but then things changed. And when you're small, you you can't sort of do everything. So I think it's really about doing what you can afford to do and doing it really, really well and balancing that with your growth. Also, my husband and I are the only people investing in this and I haven't got backers or investors that are asking for, for money or back or, you know, so I've had this little bit of breadth to allow the brand to develop and to make some choices. And trust me, I've, you know, I've lost money along the way. But again, it's not a mistake. It's just a, it's giving yourself the breadth to learn. Um, and I think sometimes there's this dreadful affliction we have with oh I'm going to build this I'm going to have it be a brand in three years and I'm going to sell it for 10 million 
or 20 million or 50 million. You know, that, that very rarely happens, if ever. And I think you've got to decide why you are doing something. And I've done this to create this company. I've got the most incredible engaged team of young women and one man <laughs> that believe what we're doing. You know, somebody that works for me, she interned with us. She's American. She's just got her master's and her dissertation was on Floral Street and she got a first and I'm like, here's our first first, you know, and and I want to create this movement and transparency, why you're doing something. And if somebody's gone out of business, look back and learn and, and try again. We can't just keep going. That doesn't, you, you've got, you know, I've had to think some things don't work and you've got to go forward. My voice is heard more because I have got a career, but trust me, I've had those days where I've wanted to fire myself from my own business. You know, I mean, on it, honestly, I have. And what's picked me up is, you know, a consumer writing to me and saying, I love what you do. You've you've made my day. My team saying, come on, we can do this. So I think it's about gathering around, but being really clear on why you're doing something. And if you're only doing it for insustainable environment, if you're only doing it for money, you're going to find that really, really hard. Michelle, thank you so, so much for joining me on this week's episode. I think the most important takeaway from what you've said and when we're thinking about sustainability in terms of beauty, makeup, perfume, everything is exactly what you said. It's not about taking the beauty out of beauty. We simply just need to find ways to maintain beauty in a way that is significantly less impactful in the environment. And whilst we're on the subject of impact, Join me next week. Well, my guest will be the founder of a company dubbed the Outnet of the Beauty Industry, Boot Beauty's Yasmin Amur. Until then, you can subscribe and listen back to previous episodes of Sustainably Influenced on all good podcast platforms. You can follow at Sustainably Influenced on Instagram and TikTok. This season of Sustainably Influenced was produced by Content is Queen, sound editor Amber Miller, and presented by Bianca Foley.